you know, really the shift is it used to be that businesses still thought there was a question of if they were going to be hacked, if they were going to suffer from ransomware. And I think what cyber resilience and overall resilience has done is said, look, the, the question isn't if, it's when. And to what degree will you have the ability to respond, to recover, and to learn and evolve from what's most likely going to be a, a guarantee of some negative adverse event. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisseman, Head of Security Strategist, I'm Rob Borrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. So Stan, who will be joining us today in our first episode of Reimagining Cyber? Well, welcome everybody. Today we have John Delk. He's our General Manager of Microfocus Cybersecurity. Great to have you with us today, John. Thanks, Stan. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be here. If you wouldn't mind expanding on your background a little bit for us? Sure, sure. Well, I've been in the overall IT industry for over 35 years, but about the last 15 of it have been focused in security. A bunch of different roles, but um, all of them really focused on how to help bring software products to the security challenges that our customers and partners face. Great, John. So we're going to jump right in and we're going to talk about what it is that you're seeing out there relative to digital transformation and some of the accelerators that have taken place, obviously, this year, so strange that it's been for businesses. Yeah, well, it's no doubt um, uh, the number one topic when I talk to C-level executives because their topology of the infrastructure of their company has changed radically. Most of them were not set up with massive work-from-home infrastructures. Uh, most of them were built with much more of a traditional sort of, uh, you know, aggregate your employees in an office or, or around the world in offices. But interestingly enough, one of the comments has been that folks have found their employees to be more productive, but they're more concerned about the security aspects of that productivity because one of the ways they're being more productive is they're sharing data in all kinds of file sharing mechanisms. They're jumping on two, three, four, five different flavors of calls using different technologies. So the sort of control of standards that most companies felt they had a handle on is out the window. Uh, and even if you didn't claim to be in a digital transformation mode, the reality is COVID's kind of wrecked your life from that perspective. And the other point I would make is they're definitely winners and losers, right? Some industries have thrived in the middle of this for great reasons. They're, they're moving forward very quickly. Other industries have really struggled and, and have much, much of a long-term uh, recovery ahead of them. And so I think you have to take that context into what's the vertical that that is uh, going to win, if you will, uh, versus the ones that are going to struggle. Those are the two big observations that that have I, I've had as I've interacted with uh, executives over the last few months. And, and security teams certainly have had to, to scramble and pivot 
they may have had a completely different set of objectives for the beginning of the year and then March hit, and then they had to readjust to this global remote workforce and all the transformations their business had to go through. What, what are you seeing as far as some of the specific challenges that these security organizations are facing and how are they adapting to that? Yeah, uh, you know, obviously the pressure on the endpoints, so a lot more use of, of managed endpoint services. Those vendors, I think, have been very, you know, profited very well from the environment and the changes in the environment. A lot more pressure on data uh, because you know that it's going to be replicated uh, in fashions that uh, were never intended when it was, you know, behind your four walls, in your data center, in your firewall, and really an acceleration to how do I secure the cloud? Those would be the trends that I would, uh, I would highlight that I think security professionals knew they were coming, but they have absolutely taken on a new dynamic as a result of the, uh, you know, the pandemic and the change in the infrastructure. The business has put the pedal to the metal on these transformations, especially to the cloud, right? Yeah, for sure, especially to the cloud and a lot of hybrid use cases because while we we watch them move to the cloud, it's partial, it's divisions, it's functions, it's it's whoever can get there first, right? It's not necessarily everything. And therefore, I think you do see a lot of hybrid use cases out there. And I think that's interesting, John. When you look at it, right, there, there has been a lot of that kind of segmentation of what goes to the cloud first as organizations have been almost forced to make that pivot. The other main theme that we're hearing a lot about, a lot of these conversations out there are around the business and enterprise resilience aspect of what they need to take into consideration. And businesses for quite some time have really been obviously looking at that as kind of the traditional operational cadence and what they have to pay attention to. But now that kind of focus has shifted to put a cyber lens on that. And cyber resilience is a key discussion topic. What are you seeing in there? What's your perspective to share there? You know, really the shift is it used to be that businesses still thought there was a question of if they were going to be hacked, if they were going to suffer from ransomware. And I think what cyber resilience and overall resilience has done is said, look, the the question isn't if, it's when. And to what degree will you have the ability to respond, to recover, and to learn and evolve from what's most likely going to be a, a guarantee of some sort of negative adverse event um, and we've been talking about business continuity for a long time. The ad here is in cyber resilience, where you literally say, I can utilize the tools to protect and detect and the things that I've been investing in to help me respond more quickly and recover more quickly from that negative event. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to continue to deliver the business outcome you know, that your enterprise is set up to do, not to be taken backwards or to be down for three months or, you know, some of the other things that we've seen happen. And there's no doubt that the increase of surface area, the in increase of the opportunity for the attack leads security professionals now to believe more than ever that cyber resilience is something they need to focus on. So it's not if, it's when, and then it's how you recover from that. I think it's been the big shift uh, that's added that cyber resilience to the equation. But John, you're not you're not saying the decades we've spent on cybersecurity 
frameworks and what we've done in that space is something we jettison. You're, you're just indicating that our mindset has to change, that we will be attacked and we need to be able to withstand and continue to operate in the reality of that threat line. I would go stronger that you have to have that foundation that we've been putting in around, you know, threat, protection, detection, response, the various pieces to the puzzle that come along with working in a NIST framework or or being able to implement the, you know, MITRE attack. Those are absolutely foundational. But I think what's changed is you have to start asking yourself the use cases around once the attack is surfaced once the bad guy's inside. Now, what am I going to do to make sure my company is going to be able to continue to deliver the critical business services, not lose data that you know would bring me to my knees or put me at a disadvantage? Uh, and those more sophisticated use cases lay on top of all the decades and, and hours and months and years of sweat and labor that got put into putting in the cybersecurity uh, foundation in the first place. The other point I would make is regulatory environments are very different per vertical. Mm. And that then leads you to a question of, well, what is really the risk of an attack depending on my vertical, right? Quite different in healthcare than let's say in manufacturing. Uh, so those, aspects build again on that foundational layer, but add new use cases to how I think about being resilient. Right. And I think that's an interesting perspective, John, where we talk about that kind of not legacy, but the, the way of thinking from a cybersecurity point of view, the new way of thinking or evolving into the cyber resiliency aspect, right. And changing that kind of mindset and culture over the top of it. I still look at it as really, again, the cyber risk aspect. Right. Those things are all part of that. And so you mentioned it operationally, right? The business functions, it's number one, highest priority that can't go down, right? Or it needs to be minimized at best. And so when you look at now, as Dan was talking about that cybersecurity and how this kind of evolution to cyber resiliency, what are you seeing as the key differences and kind of the, also more importantly, the intersecting points between the two? You know, in some ways it's nuanced. And in some ways, I think it's just changing the mindset to looking at the aftermath of the ransomware or the aftermath of a rogue account or the aftermath of whatever uh, scenario you're thinking about and asking some critical questions around how am I securing my identities, my applications and my data in a way that even if those things happen, I'm going to be able to recover quickly I know that I've got, for example, the ability to manage both on-prem and cloud use cases. I haven't structured my environment, so I've got separate tools per deployment model, which then means that if I do suffer an attack, I've got different risk profiles. All of these things, the foundation of cybersecurity has to be there, but now you're sort of asking the question from a different end state, which is I have been attacked I'm now in recovery mode. What does that look like? How do I get access to uh, the, the anomalies that occurred that caused that to happen so I know, you know what to lock down, what not to lock down? Those sorts of questions, I think, are more at the resilience level as opposed to traditionally, we spent a lot more time just saying, we'll figure out how to stop it. 
We won't let it happen in the first place. Now we're moving to, it's going to happen. What's that process to manage, limit, control, and come out the other side in a more resilient fashion? Hey, John, pulling on that thread of the threat context, you know, if you if you look at the trends of data extrication, that has continued to grow. We had 1,400 uh, data breaches in the United States alone last year. Yeah. Um, but you're also seeing these disruptive kind of attacks. And if you look at, for example, the one that's going on right now, targeting healthcare providers and hitting them with ransomware, with extortion that is greatly exceeding their means in which they can actually provide, partly as revenge, I think, to actions taken against TrickBot when Microsoft and ISSA decided to go after TrickBot, I think it has caused a counter reaction. So again, if, if you're a healthcare provider and you see that threat context of this may be happening, there are certain actions, right, you need to take to yeah. be able to hopefully mitigate a ransomware attack that's targeting you. Stan, I think it's really, and this is where the vertical comes in, but it's really the assumption that's going to happen. And then how do I minimize, for example, the impact to the data that I manage? How am I protecting that uh, day in and day out, right, in the various use cases, so that when those things happen, I'm on the lower end of the risk profile, because I know, for example, that I've used tokenization, encryption technologies where I needed to, that I've done the lifecycle management of data to be able to put policy around the PII that uh, you know I'm required to manage with HIPAA and other healthcare regulations. All these things are things we've been talking about before, but it used to be more, uh, well, I don't want to get fined, right? Now, the reality is you can't recover quick enough if you don't do these things. Because as you're pointing out, if this is a revenge, uh, you know, approach, then they're going to look to do damage to the overall business. And the only way you can limit that is to have thought ahead of time, what do I do about protecting this in a more, you know, concrete manner? And one of the reasons we've been looking for the use cases that stretch from on-prem to the cloud is you can't wake up and realize, oh, because I accidentally stored this stuff in this new cloud application, it's now all exposed because what I used on-prem doesn't work in the cloud. Yeah, John, and you talked about this a little earlier too. You're talking about you know, securing the, the identities through in the applications back in to ultimately get to that pot of gold with the data, what they're after. What are you seeing out there though as some key areas of focus from a technology perspective, that's really helping organizations to do things better moving forward with this whole theme of cyber resiliency. I think the the issue with the industry is we've created a a large breadth of investment that's led to a lot of you know individual solution oriented companies that do a really great job, but they're out there by the thousands. And one of the things I think that the industry is asking is, what about my use cases that stretch across identities, applications, and data? Where am I going to find the the intelligence and the context to make the kinds of decisions that need to be made in near real time? So, you know, we started with supervised machine learning a while back, and we built a bunch of rules, and, and that worked for a while. 
But with, uh, with IoT and 5G and the proliferation of data, that won't work anymore. You have to move to unsupervised machine learning. You have to move to an anomaly detection at scale. And so the technologies that we see coming to play are, how do I take that AIML and go into the more complex use cases and add value by delivering something that can be actionable you know, at the moment that a, a human needs it? Because we're not gonna be able to add enough smart humans to stay ahead of this game, right? So the software now has to bring to me, hey, these are the things that look anomalous. You should do something about them. These are the applications that you're most vulnerable with. You should do something about them. This is the data that you should be protecting the most. And adding that AIML capability, not on a point by point basis, because then that turns every company into a systems integrator, what you look for are some things that can stretch across. And I think that'll be the, the significant request in cyber resilience is help me do this on the more complex use cases so that I'm not throwing more bodies at, at problems they're never going to be able to solve. Well, those bodies don't really exist. I mean, if you look at the shortage out there, it's outrageous. Yeah. I mean, you you deal with that shortage yourself, right? Um, and, yes. and, and so I guess one of the questions I have is, do you see more folks taking that risk of automating and orchestrating actions that don't require a human in the loop or keep the human in the loop for some of them and recognize that there's a low-hanging fruit that you can just go ahead and, you know, put that potentially contaminated, infected endpoint into your jail, you're segregating it off from your network. Do you see organizations willing to go that way and take advantage of some of these capabilities out there that allow you to automate? Yes, Stan, it's a great question. I think it depends on where they were in their maturity beforehand. I was talking to a, a CISO the other day and, and they did not feel comfortable going all the way to sort of the fully hands-off model. But what they were looking for was, can I use software to optimize the hours in the day that my trained staff execute against? Because what their fear is that the amount of noise, uh, the amount of alerts that come through, the amount of you know everything, just because of the proliferation of data and endpoints and all of that, that their trained staff was now doing, you know, activity that was virtually useless. And so I think that's the area that software, smart, intelligent, contextual-based decision-making or insights, that's the area that software can say, well, why are you doing that? Let's parse through all of that and bring to you the top five things that you need to be looking at, or in your point, maybe the top five endpoints that show the most anomalous behavior. Uh, and if I'm doing a CrowdStrike or a Carbon Black or another MDR, you know, I now can use my smart people to go take action and then get comfortable with that before you go fully automated. But it's a continuum, right? And you do have to start biting off some of those use cases. And I, I there's no doubt that we will get to a much more fully functioned remediation by software uh, just out of necessity. Uh, Based on the velocity of these attacks coming in. 
Yeah, right. and, and the amount of data involved, the amount of, you know, everything that, that we all know is, has changed. Uh, this particular CISO said they're managing 75,000 endpoints. They used to manage 7,000 desktops in, you know, in an enterprise, but now every handheld, every laptop, every iPad, that's the kind of stuff that there's no amount of human lack of automation is going to chase that. You're going to have to add some smarts into the equation. Yeah, it's a great point, John. It's, it's all about how do you stay ahead and just the volume of information, data flowing and extensivity of these systems now. It's just very difficult to manage, but I think that's all very great insight. So, John, thanks for joining us. Always insightful. We really appreciate the conversation with you today. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Stan. Great to be with you. Thanks, John. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. Join us in the next episode where Jim Routh will be speaking about his past experience in leading organizations with their cybersecurity programs. Jim is the leader of the cybersecurity organization at MassMutual. If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe.